and welcome to the Nursing Standard podcast. I'm Flavia Munn, editor of Nursing Standard. Today's episode explores taking advanced nursing practice onto the streets. So my colleague, senior nurse editor Richard Hatchett, has been speaking to advanced nurse practitioner Rosa Ankerporn. Now Rosa developed an outreach project to help homeless people sleeping rough on the streets of London. And in 2020, she won the advanced nursing practice category of the RCNI Nurse Awards for this work. Now, in this episode, she explains more about the project, the autonomy of her role, and how she can offer complete episodes of care from examination to treatment. She also talks about communication issues and also explains a bit about the national guidelines that she's written on health-related street outreach. So, without further ado, let's take a listen. Today we're looking at advanced nursing practice on the streets and I'm joined by Rosa Unkerporn who won the advanced nursing practice category in the 2020 RCNI Nurse Awards for her Westminster Street Nurse Project. So hi Rosa, how are you? Hi Richard, I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for inviting me onto this podcast. A pleasure. Can you just outline your role and work for listeners? Yeah, sure. So I work um, in the Homeless Health Service um, for Central London Community Healthcare NHS Trust, which now covers Westminster, Hammersmith and Fulham and Wandsworth in London. And I mainly work in Westminster, um, which was where I set up our street outreach service. Um, I work with people experiencing homelessness. So uh, those people are either sleeping rough, sofa surfing, living in hostels or in, in emergency accommodation. And my role is really to address their acute health issues, um, to support them to connect with other NHS services, so um, through GP registration or to connect with uh, mainstream primary and secondary um, care services, and also uh, to provide screening and health checks for conditions um, that may be more common in um, the homeless population, for example, bloodborne virus screening or substance misuse. So are you an advanced practitioner, a primary care nurse? Are you all of these things? How would you categorise yourself? So I would categorise myself as an advanced nurse practitioner. Um, I uh, completed my advanced clinical practice master's at London South Bank University in 2019 and I see the advanced uh, clinical practice role as really important in homeless and inclusion health. Um, I think there's significant advantages of the role um, in working across all four pillars and there's um, good opportunities to do that as well in, in homeless and inclusion health. I can tell you a bit more about that if you'd like. Yes Rosa please do. So um, from uh, the clinical, uh, direct clinical practice pillar, um, as an advanced nurse practitioner, um, I can work autonomously um, and offer complete episodes of care to people that are seen opportunistically. So people that are seen on the street who may not be able to access other healthcare services, or if I referred them on to another service, may not be able to uh, make that appointment. Um, so complete episodes of care, uh, I can give that through um, being able to do clinical examination, diagnose uh, health conditions and manage them, including prescribing medication. Um, as an advanced nurse practitioner, also have the capability to manage a higher level of complexity in the kind of unpredictable and chaotic situations that we um, see on the street. And for the leadership pillar, um, 
there is a, an important role in homeless and inclusion health in the coordination of partnership work between services because a lot of our work is there's a lot of crossover between healthcare and social care so we work um, in partnership with housing outreach teams with um, meal services on the street or drop-in day centres um, also with specialist uh, homeless GPs that we have in our borough and with substance misuse services and also as part of the leadership role um, I'm able to bring my frontline experiences of working with people who are homeless um, into uh, some strategic leadership to uh, look at how we respond uh, to the needs of our patients both uh, within our service and also trying to um, bring that information up to uh, the more senior managers and commissioners as well about what, what's needed. In the education uh, pillar, I think it's really important for nurses who work with people who are homeless um, to be able to educate uh, nursing students or um, other healthcare professionals in mainstream services because unfortunately a lot of our patients have uh, negative experiences of healthcare and face poor attitudes from staff. So I think it's really important to raise awareness of the issues that face them and the complexities of their lives, which can hopefully help reduce prejudice um, and mean that, that people have more positive experiences in future. For the research pillar, homelessness and inclusion health is a very under-researched area. And it's also really important that our work is appropriate for and acceptable to our patients. So uh, my own uh, Westminster Street Nurse uh, Outreach Project was based on uh, a qualitative research project with people with lived experience of sleeping rough. Um, and that has formed um, the basis of, uh, of both my project, but also uh, some national guidelines that I've written, um, which are guidelines for health-related street outreach to people experiencing homelessness, um, which are going to be launched uh, on January the 20th um, and have been uh, endorsed by the RCN. Um, so will be available uh, via their endorsement website. Can I just pick up on, on particularly where you're talking about the lived experience? How do you approach patients uh, or are they service users? I'm from an acute care background where the patient is there, but how do you, uh, how do you approach and engage? Sure, I prefer the um, term patient, to be honest. That's okay. what I would use. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. Um, the interpersonal approach, both on the street or in, um, in the kind of in-reach clinics that we have in day centres, is really, really important because, as I said, uh, you know, the people that experience homelessness have often had negative experiences for healthcare in the past and also... Uh, commonly experience complex trauma as well. Um, so that would include adverse childhood experiences like abuse and neglect, um, being uh, part of the care system as a child, um, and then um, other uh, traumatic experiences like domestic violence and bereavement, which can lead to uh, significant mental health problems and substance misuse. Um, so there is when when we see people on the street or or in our clinics there is often an understandable mistrust of any uh services including any healthcare uh workers and 
um, the, there's increased levels of complexity uh, about how somebody uh, can access healthcare as well. Um, there's a lot of competing priorities when you're homeless, so it's very difficult when you're trying to manage just to get shelter and food. And so there is when when we see people on the street or or in our clinics, there is often an understandable mistrust of any uh, services, including any healthcare uh, workers. And the, there's increased levels of complexity uh, about how somebody can access healthcare as well. There's a lot of competing priorities when you're homeless, so it's very difficult when you're trying to manage just to get shelter and food and keep yourself clean. Your health is often quite low down as a priority. So our, our kind of approach would be very gradual and gentle. Street outreach is a very proactive thing where we are wanting to bring services directly to people. Um, that other services are failing to reach. So it's definitely a proactive thing, but we would take things uh, very gently and very gradually. And we would also try and work very much on the, based on what the patient says they want, their preferences, their needs, so that it, it's their agenda that we're following, rather than trying to force them into a, you know, our own healthcare agenda, because that often doesn't work. Are you a prescriber? Yes, yeah, I can um, prescribe medication, yeah. I wonder how that works in the street project. Yeah, it is more complicated, to be honest, um, and it's something that we thought about a lot um, before we went out and had some really good advice from um, actually a pharmacist who's an independent prescriber in Scotland. Um, she gave me a lot of good advice um, from her street outreach project there. Um, there's obviously some increased risks and kind of complexities of prescribing on the street. But we felt that we needed to be able to, uh, you know, as I said, offer complete episodes of care to people, uh, you know, who, who, who needed medication straight away. So what we would do is uh, we would, you know, obviously ask the person as much detail, trying to get their history from them as, in as much detail as we can on the street. And then we can call our colleagues um, back in, in the office who can check somebody's notes to see if there's any, you know, any more information about their allergies or um, the other medication they're on and um, we can obviously the great thing about you know mobile phones now is that you can access a lot of the guidance on your phone so like the you can access the BNF and you could access the Public Health England antibiotic guidance very easily on your phone and the other thing is I would I would normally take out um, a handwritten pad which I would maybe go into a, a nearby pharmacy and, and write write the prescription at the pharmacy and then I could I could speak to the pharmacist for their advice as well which is helpful usually I would write the prescription and then I would pick up the medication for the person as well and take it back to them so that I can explain how to how they can take it and and um, watch them take the first dose as well if that's appropriate yes because I'm guessing a lot of your patients are not GP registered yeah um, many of them won't be no and and some of them um, particularly, we have quite a large population of um, people from the Roma community um, in Westminster. Many of them maybe, you know, haven't been able to access healthcare at all um, very well, uh, you know, for most of their lives. So, um, yeah, might 
their their history might be quite confusing and their sort of beliefs about health their health system might be quite different to to the general population so i suppose it's about spending a lot of time trying to get information from people explaining things in a good way and and with like the roma population as well we would go out with um the housing outreach team um who have some romanian speaking workers who are amazing and that really helps um with the relationship with those people yes of course the westminster population is very diverse i wondered if the language issue was challenging uh no it's 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 difficult and um we can we have um telephone interpreting uh you know on our mobile phones which we can use but obviously that doesn't work brilliantly when you're outside uh, it's quite difficult you know to to hear on the phone if there's lots of noise going on and it definitely doesn't work very well in big groups which we often find with people from the roma um, community they may often in family groups and it's difficult if like three people are trying to talk to you at once so that's why it's really good to have the um the housing outreach team um who have these romanian speaking workers who are amazing to help us an interesting point is in a GP service, someone comes in with a problem. I'm guessing you have to approach to see if people want or need your services. Yeah, a lot of the time it is like that. Um, so the clinics that we um, have had in day centres, those have changed a lot since COVID, to be honest. Um, but previous, prior to, to COVID, the COVID-19 pandemic, we had clinics in day centres and people did did approach us there. Um, it was a walk-in clinic, but uh, not all of the people who were accessing the day centre would have approached us. There were, there were some that did, but street outreach is very much, as you say, more of a proactive thing of, of trying to go and meet people on the street um, Yeah, and ask um, whether they have any health problems. We get referrals from the housing outreach workers who, you know, when they're speaking to someone about their homelessness, a health problem might come up. And so they will refer to us. Um, so we might have some idea about a problem. But in lots of cases, we're just op- opportunistically approaching people that we walk past who appear to be possibly homeless. And we would, yeah, start very gently, as I said, by introducing ourselves and um, explaining what we can offer, that it's free, and that if they would like to discuss any health problems with us, then you know we would be happy to do that. And we try and give something as well, because trying to sort of give something can improve a relationship as well we found during my research with people uh, with lived experience of sleeping rough it was suggested that it would be useful to give things so we have little outreach packs with a, a snack bar in there uh, an emergency blanket um, a pen and a notebook and then some a small first aid kit um, some hand wipes now we've got COVID-19 uh, information in there as well. And, and we often offer to buy people hot drinks or food as well if they need it. So, yes, the big question is, how has COVID affected your work? <laughs> Hugely. Um, similarly, yeah, similarly to lots of different um, nurses working in lots of different healthcare settings, I'm sure. But the way it's affected our patients is that, uh, well, during the first lockdown, uh, all the day centres closed very suddenly, just within one day's notice, basically, which meant that people who went there to get food or to have a shower or to um, get support just suddenly couldn't access anywhere. And the GP practices also obviously had to switch to remote working as well. So it was even harder for people to who were homeless to access primary care. 
And there was a, a big lack of information for our patients as well, who often don't have smartphones or access to TVs, you know, where the general population was, was getting their information about COVID-19. And even if they could find out what the advice was from the government, then it was very difficult to follow. You know, it's very difficult to keep to wash your hands if all of the public toilets are closed and the day centres are closed. And, and it was also, you know, very difficult, if not impossible, for people on the street to self-isolate if they got symptoms. Thankfully, the government uh, brought in the Everyone In national strategy in the, in, during the first lockdown, which was very positive. That was providing emergency hotel accommodation, which was across London and the UK for people who were homeless. And that was really positive because it saw a lot of people with long histories of homelessness agreeing to go into accommodation and we saw a lot of health improvements. But sadly, that didn't happen for everyone in Westminster. There was still quite a significant proportion of um, our patients who, who were left out. And the funding has also not been matched during the second lockdown. And now we're in winter, usually across London, there's, there's a huge number of winter night shelters, often in churches um, that offer their uh, space as kind of rolling night shelters um, for people. But those, because they're communal spaces, Public Health England has said the risk is too high for them to open. And at the moment, we don't have any real concrete plans about how that accommodation is going to be replaced. There's a few different single room accommodation uh, places opening, but definitely not the same number as the beds that the night, winter night shelters provided before. I wondered how you counted your patient numbers. That must be quite difficult. It's quite difficult to do, yeah, to be honest. What we have is um, the, so St Mungo's, the, um, the housing um, outreach team that work across Westminster, they do regular, uh, every two weeks, they do a um, street count. And um, so the last one, which was last week, uh, there was about 240 people sleeping rough in Westminster. So um, they're not all of our patients, but we, we know that on that night that um, the outreach workers went out, that's how many people they saw sleeping rough. Most of those people were new to the street as well since the everyone in strategy uh, because unfortunately with with COVID-19 the impact on the economy there's a lot of people who have lost jobs and accommodation who are newly homeless. We also can count the number of people that we see on outreach and during the first lockdown it went up to uh, about 180 face-to-face -face contacts we saw every month but now it's reduced a bit um, as the numbers um, have slightly reduced to about 60 face-to-face -face contacts with people um, per month. But we've also got increased numbers of um, contacts where we're speaking to people over the telephone as well. We're obviously trying, you know, we're still doing face-to-face -face contacts where we need to and it is a bit safer on the streets because we're outside. But we're also trying to, you know, follow the national guidance as much as possible of doing remote consultations when we can and, and the outreach team can provide mobile phones to people that are sleeping rough as well so we we also um, speak to people on the phone too. And finally I wondered how you as a person maybe your views or your attitudes have changed because of this work. I think I always had an interest in uh, working with people with complex um, needs. 
I was um, a TB nurse before I was a homeless nurse and um, I saw, you know, a lot of the kind of complexities and the social determinants of health really in that work and and it kind of always uh, was an interest for me to work with people you know who who are vulnerable and have got lots of complexities it's definitely opened my eyes though even more to the struggles of people who are right at the kind of sharp end of society I think you know our patient numbers are small compared to other services but you know the the struggles that these people face are really really harsh um and it's it's really tough to see you know in a in a country where there is a lot of money really out there you know you know we're we're a well-off country and to really see people um on the street with nothing with no with no food no money nowhere to live even pregnant women sometimes which is you know quite a shock it's really sort of opened my eyes to it but i and i think it's just increase my uh, determination and confidence, I suppose, in being an advocate. That's something that I think is really important to my role. Sort of, and some level of activism really as well about trying to uh, raise awareness about the issues facing these people and to make sure that, you know, that working in the NHS, which I think the whole point, the whole reason it was set up, you know, was to uh, reduce health inequalities and provide healthcare to everyone for free. Um, you know that that that's uh, really important to me that um, we can continue to reduce health inequalities and increase access to healthcare um, for these people. So I think it's just made me more passionate, really, um, about uh, the role. Rosa, thank you so much for sharing your work with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that all the resources connected with this episode of the show can be found at rcni.com forward slash podcast, where you can also catch up on any episodes you may have missed or simply want to play back. And we greatly appreciate any feedback, so please do rate or review us on Apple or Spotify podcasts, which will also help other people to find us. I hope you enjoyed the show.